welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs as well as CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if you may miss the show at any time, you know you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. So today, though, I would like to introduce you to Elam Yusuf Najad, who is doing a PhD in sociology under the supervision of Dr. Marcus Taylor. Welcome to Grad Chat, Elam. Thank you. Hi, Colette, and thank you so much for having me here. Oh, I'm so glad you came. It's, it's interesting, actually. I've met Elam over the years at some of our writing camps that we hold for our students, and I know you've all heard me talking about our writing camps, but one of the things that's nice is that we also have a writing camp for our student parents, and Elam has always been there, and you know we, we send the kids off to athletics and recreation camp and to allow Elam and her colleagues to have a day of just being able to write without the kids worrying or in interrupting them. So it's been great having you there. And have, have you, I mean, I'm assuming you got lots from those days. Yeah. I know there are, we call them PA day writing camps because they're usually held on PA day. Yeah, that was an extremely amazing opportunity for parents and students and I really appreciate it. And my son also really enjoyed PA day camps. So it was wonderful to have. And actually I submitted my dissertation in one of these camps like one of the days that I was in the camp that was the last day I was writing which is awesome it was amazing I know you know that's one of the things I love about the writing camps where you come to the end of the day and someone says I've done it I'm about to hand it in and you go woohoo oh, yeah. <laughs> and it worked it worked yeah that's lovely thank so, you so um, much for all hard hard work you've done uh, for uh, putting all these things together so it's interesting, though, because, I mean, you're coming on the show, fabulous. I, you know, I always like our students to come on the show, but you waited until right at the end when you've already handed it in. What made you want to wait until you finished your dissertation to come on the show? Because I, I really like to get things done before talking about them. Right. <laughs> like, it, it feels much better to have everything in their place and then start talking about it. And, and that makes total sense because some people say, you know what, Claire, I don't have enough to say just yet. I mean, I haven't got my results and I haven't done this. And sometimes that is okay because sometimes it can at least put theory forward. But then there are other times, like for yourself, where, you know, you know what, I want to I get it all together and get it really sorted out in my head before yeah. coming on and sometimes feeling comfortable to talk about it. I mean, you've done all this work for all these years, and it's like, oh, my God, I've got, I've got to now start talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's so very right. So yeah. I'm, I'm glad you did that. So before we do talk about your work, which I know is what's, that's why we're here, tell us a bit more about yourself, you know, where you're from, where you studied before coming to Queen's. Why did you choose to come to Queen's to do this, you know, your sociology PhD? Yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm originally from Iran, so I studied. Uh, I got my 
bachelor from Shahid Chamran University in Iran. And uh, then I studied, I started my master's in Shiraz University. And then to pursue my, my graduate studies and PhD, I decided to come to Queens because I searched different universities and uh, Professor Marcus Taylor's um, area of studies and expertise fit uh, my interest in right. terms of uh, like uh, I was focused on uh, water governance and environmental issues so I really like to do my PhD at Queens and then fortunately I was accepted here and then I came here and started doing my research in the areas of adaptive governance and yeah, I um, the triggering point of my dissertation or my research in PhD was that in 2019, Kingston declared a climate emergency, and then I decided to uh, work on this area and to see how these policies are implemented uh, in this area. It's interesting because, you know, you don't hear about a lot of municipal governments talking about the climate change. I mean, normally we think that's provincial or federal, should be working out all the world in general. So the fact that you you came here and saw this opportunity to pick a little topic like that, well, not really little, it's actually quite huge, a topic like that and go, you know, this is in a Canadian context in the province of Ontario in a city called Kingston. What can I find out about that? And if you don't mind, I'm just going to uh, tell everyone about your research, what your research topic is, yeah. just to clarify. And you've written it down as Municipal Climate Change Governance, a Pathway to Resilience Building and Vulnerability Reduction, a Case Study of Kingston, Ontario. And, you know, you gave us a bit of a reason why that. But maybe you can answer this question for me. What is municipal climate change governance? What does that actually mean? Actually, municipal climate change governance is a broad area which includes two main components, like adaptation and mitigation. So it is something to increase the resilience of the communities. Like, um, as I said, in 2019, uh, uh, Kingston declared a climate emergency and once a city declared a climate emergency it, it incorporates two important promises for the city to m- mitigate the GHG emissions and to and reduce the exposure of the citizens to GHG emissions and the other thing is adapting to the, the cons- consequences and impact negative impacts of climate change with, which already happens and climate policies include both these two areas to increase the resilience of the city and community in the face of climate uh, emergency and climate change but this is a very complex issue because it's not very easy and uh, like linear kind of uh, measurement mm-hmm. that you can measure resilience very easily. It's very complex and that's why scholars call for adaptive governance to handle these complexities in the face of climate change, which I explained further. Can I go back one step? So you said in 2019, Kingston declared an emergency. What prompted them to do that? 
was there something happened in the city or they just decided you know what we've been waiting long enough we need to do something now or we're going to pay the consequences later I mean what brought them on to say 2019 let's call an emergency yeah it was after the Paris agreement and um, okay yeah that that was the triggering point for the cities to declare a climate emergency and uh, Kingston was the, one of the first municipalities in Ontario uh, which uh, declared a climate emergency and according to the research it's one of the mm, leading municipalities in terms of mitigating uh, the GHG emissions but in terms of adapting to the impacts of climate change there are some areas which it needs to do there are some areas of improvement in this so what areas are those Actually, that's the gap that I found in the climate policies in Kingston, and that's related to justice-oriented climate policies. Okay. Maybe it's it's better to explain a little bit about adaptive governance and resilience. Please do. And then, yes. Yeah. Then then go into then, that. That's fine. Yeah, go into that and uh, how all these things come together. Mm-hmm. So resilience is a concept which is originated from ecology and uh, this is now widely applied in social science context. In the social realm, realm resilience means that a capacity of a system or group or organization to absorb disturbance and then reorganize in the face of uh, stressors and shocks like climate uh, and environmental changes in a way that still retains their essential functions and structure and identity. So this core idea of resilience thinking is that things change, Mm -hmm. but still uh, we have to adapt to these changes. We can't resist these changes. Otherwise, it increases human vulnerability and limits their opportunities and options. And that's why the resilience thinking about better understanding change dynamics and identifying what organizational principles provide the capacity to adapt to change without uh, losing the core functions of the system. And I think that's, I mean, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think that's really important because local governments can't just keep changing policy yes simply it's not like okay today today we're going to do this you know tomorrow no i don't like that we're going to change because it's all like you said there's these processes to make any change that they have to go through because they've got to get we're in in a democracy people have to have a right to have a a voice and be heard and those sorts of things so a policy even a policy being made has to be in such a way that it, the processes can be changed accordingly without always having to go back and yeah. ask for, is this okay to do? Yeah, exactly. That's why adaptive governance, which is rooted in resilience thinking, is uh, is based on continual learning. That's right, the core right. idea of, of adaptive governance. Mm-hmm. So it tries to connect the the vertical governance to the horizontal layers of society by absorbing as much information as possible from different layers of society. And this continual learning helps governors to be as flexible as possible and uh, do make their decision based on timely information which they gather from different layers of society. Uh, like this is the key to in to kind of uh, most flexible and informed kind of 
decision making which consider all uh, the needs of all layers of society into account and when you say all layers of society yes so low economic to high economic to what's going on in schools to what's going on on our roads it's a bit of everything so layers isn't just on a, a, a human level is it looking at the other levels too? Like what's happening on our, in our transport system? And exactly, because in climate change policies, everything connects to everything else. Nothing can be done separately. Everything should be connected. And the decision-making, so the decision-making cannot uh, just happen in just one department of mm-hmm. municipality or one level of governance. All levels of go- governance, municipal, provincial, and federal, should be uh, should work together. And also in the municipal level, which is my area of study, uh, just one department can't do everything. They should be all connected. Everything is connected to everything er- else. So in climate change policy, we say that uncertainty is uh, like the climate change policy tries to handle uncertainty, right. and uh, because climate change mm, is not something that you can always predict what is going to happen. Which was the word I was going to use. So it's different to predict being predictable. Yeah, not, it's not climate change exactly. being predictable policy. It's uh, the uncertainty. Yeah, yeah, and uncertainty is caused by lack of lack or deficiency of knowledge about all components of mm-hmm. the project in advance. So failure of many governance, like climate policies, is because of two, two deficiencies, two kind of deficiencies. One of the, them is in addressing the complexity and uncertainty within the project. And the second one is the failure to connecting vertical governance to the horizontal layers of society, which I already mentioned, and mm-hmm. adaptive governance is kind of governance that tries to a- address both these components what, by continual learning and collecting information from uh, the community. So engaging the community in their process of decision-making ma- in a meaningful way to shape the outcome. It's interesting, though, because as much as everyone wants to be able to collaborate and ask, that can take a lot of time to make one little change or be a bit adaptable. So who is collecting, apart from you doing this study, who else is collecting this kind of information moving forward, even if we get a great policy? Mm -hmm. How do we maintain the integrity of that policy when there's so many layers and people that you have to consult with? Yeah, that's the tricky part of the <laughs> problem, and that's a great uh, question because, uh, like, uh, in my study, I uh, I uh, combined two kinds of data. One, once, uh, one of them was the like the different uh, documents produced by Cities Kingston, and I also did some semi-structured interviews with okay. city officials right. and also social justice advocates who were who working with the vulnerable population right. uh, in the society. And uh, the tricky part of um, this kind of decision making is collecting this information from different layers of society because they have some kind of surveys, they have like they come out and talk to people, but still it is not something that 
all-inclusive based on the analysis right. and empirical study that I've done because there are some obstacles in this way. Uh, for example, all people don't have all layers of society, all people, especially most vulnerable people, don't have access to internet. They right. don't have, uh, they are not in the mailing list of the city. They are not, uh, or sometimes these people don't have that sense of belonging. They feel that, oh yeah, if, even if they, they, we go and we say our perspectives, maybe it doesn't be that much effective in shaping the big policies. And uh, that is why the result of my study showed that it's, it's still a long way to get there, mm -hmm. although they have the, the city officials all um, despite their best intentions and trying their best but still there are some areas which needs improvement to be all inclusive and engage more people as much as possible well this isn't this where the certain areas the the ministers of that particular area they should be advocating for the the population that they're being voted in yeah. to look after yes and so are you saying some of them aren't speaking up enough for their constituents or I mean because climate emergency is very recent so mm -hmm. they they are aware of uh, the importance of collaboration and uh, engagement of all layers right but still there are not structures Right. Uh, in place mm -hmm. there are not enough structures in place so something that i recommend for the city is that um, for their future the, like um, climate action policies they need to consider this just uh, oriented uh, adaptation because they are very good in uh, technical solutions they are doing great in scientific uh, framing of vulnerability or i mean uh, scientific solutions to reduce the ghg emissions but it is something that but in terms of adaptation and considering the needs of uh, people who are the most vulnerable there are some areas which needs more improvement. And uh, one of the, my favorite concept climate policy is the concept of double injustice because it says uh, that while contributing the least in carbon emission, the world's poor will be affected by the earliest and most damaging impacts of uh, unsustainable management of right. climate change. And after them are the future generation who has, they have no voice no palatable voices so it's important to consider that what is considered positive adaptation to for some groups of people may be not, not may, may not may not work for other groups of people and right. may be maladaptation so if this happens if they don't collect uh, enough information about uh, the needs of all people then it may, may lead to more adaptation that in future they need to adapt to the, the, the consequences of these kinds. It, it's interesting that you say that because I think you're studying Kingston, which is a great place and we're all living here, which is fantastic. And as much as we like to think Kingston has stuff for everybody and look after everybody, we know there are different pockets that some get looked after better than others. Whether we agree with that or not, it's, it's the way things are. And it's almost like when we're doing policies and this, I don't know if this is the right wording, looking at what is the lowest common denominator in terms of what is the worst case scenario we're looking at and let's try and fix that area rather than, it's, rather than always looking at 
here's an here's a quick solution which more often than not will look after those that probably are okay right now as yeah. opposed to the ones and perhaps in the low economic areas who need perhaps more learning training awareness support to help this climate policy because yeah. we all, at all like you said at all levels we need to be looking at you know, what can we do to reduce and the people who are using making it the worst maybe they're the ones that can afford to to make changes quicker yes exactly <laughs> and so we have this sort of imbalance yeah that's why uh, the literature and the research call for sustainable policies and s- sustainable across the board isn't that yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. So based on the, the results of my study, I made some arguments, like right. three main arguments in this uh, study. So this uh, study, my study acknowledged that the city of Kingston has had a sequential series of policies and plans around climate change that are broadly positive in relation to other municipal, like compared to other municipal approaches. And it, as I said, it is one of the leading municipalities. Which is good. Yeah, among, uh, like a study by Guardian et al. 2019 in evaluating the quality of 63 Canadian municipalities mm-hmm. showed that Kingston has been ranked as a first municipality in terms of reducing GHG emissions. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of adaptation, I suggest that there are some elements of adaptive governance uh, and resilience thinking in Kingston climate policies, but these elements need to further uh, and more explicitly developed in future in their policies. For instance, one of the uh, components of adaptive governance is encouraging uh, social cooperation, cooperation and collaboration and the importance of connecting uh, different layers of society with the policymakers' components. Right. However, the evidence of my interview suggests that there are some t- some obstacles in the way of participating and engaging all sectors of society in the decision making in a meaningful way, and uh, these obstacles can reduce the can reproduce a lack of uh, trust and awareness among right. different layers of society about the importance of uh, climate change action right. in the residential sectors especially and reducing the collaboration of community for successful impl- implementation of adaptive governance because just two percent of the emissions come from municipality operations and the other comes from the community, so the engagement and collaboration of community to reduce the emissions is really important, yes. and that, that just can happen while when the community trusts the governance and they increase their sense of belonging. That's when the community try to be more engaged and more collaborative in helping the municipality to reach their goals and which is uh, it's really important isn't it everyone has to have a voice yes exactly to make it work everyone needs to know that they've got a voice and being heard yeah and that is the key uh, point because the community to help the governors to achieve their goals net zero goals. So since 2019 and some of the work that you've been doing, are you going to present this to the city now and say, you know, this is what I found, these are some of the ways that you can be even better 
on your climate policy. Is that, is that your next step? Yeah, I think I, I, I'm trying to create a report for the city to present to them and to show that the areas and the gaps in this policymaking uh, in terms of uh, including the most vulnerable population's needs into their policymaking. Yeah, because as I said, there are, they are affected very quickly because their opportunities to adapt is limited. Right. Yeah. And so if they go, this is awesome, which hopefully they will. <laughs> I mean, it's a nice thing about being in a town where you've got universities and colleges and who can sort of help provide information that a city can be using, particularly your, your project, because it is about the city. So if they take this on board um, and, and make some changes accordingly, do you think also this is a model that other municipalities could be using or to be thinking about when they're looking at their own climate policy? Yeah, I think this, the findings of this research is transferable to other municipalities or it depends on the audience and people who mm-hmm. read it and how they, they consider it useful to their um, area and context of work but um, yeah I would say it's it's really transferable to other contexts and to other uh, municipalities uh, or um, other layers of uh, governance yeah pretty incredible what you're doing (laughs) thank you and so I mean you've handed in have you defended yet yeah and you passed? Yes. Woohoo! <laughs> Sorry, I should have said that in the beginning. I should have known that. Congratulations. Thank you so so much. are you graduating this spring? Yeah, I've been graduated. Like, uh, going across that stage? Yeah. I'll, I'm hopefully, <laughs> I will be there. You're done. You're going. You were so relieved you're done. <laughs> That's incredible. Congratulations on Thank that. You so much. And so then, then what's next? I mean, I know you're going to present this to the, the city, but what's next for you then, you and your family? So I guess the next order of business is <laughs> finding a job. Right. And I'm Are you wanting to stay around? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah I really, I really like to stay around and finding a job. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in policy assessment and also I, I like to stay in academia or uh, finding position in the municipality, mm-hmm. like in the, in the city, to do this kind of research in this area of climate policy. That's great. Yeah, especially um, just and uh, equitable climate policy. And, you know, we need, we need more of that. Yes. And you yes. clearly have a, a knack for doing it. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, well, best of luck with that. And hopefully that will all work out for you and your family. It means I'm not going to see your kids for a bit, am I? <laughs> I kind of got used to the, you picking them up. and. <laughs> It won't yes. be the same, those camps, without you being there. But um, congratulations on everything, and I do wish you the best. Thank you, Colette. Thank you, and it was uh, very nice. Uh, it was very nice, and my pleasure to talk to you about my research, and thanks for having me and providing me with this opportunity to talk about my research. Oh, it's no problem at all. I think the city of Kingston, both the employees at the city of Kingston as well as the the greater community here will be fascinated by the work so uh, it can help all of us which is you know it's nice to it's always nice to see research where it's very obvious that it can help 
help where we are today. Yeah. And so it's very, very important. So good luck with the rest of that. Thank you so much. Thanks. So that's it, everyone. A another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and a CFRC podcast. Just type in grad chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.